0: Good morning. Welcome to the show. It's Thursday, November the 4th. Coming to you once again bright and early from the Del Mar Thoroughbred Club in Southern California, host of the Breeders' Cup World Championships 2021, which begin tomorrow Friday. And plenty of preview to offer you tomorrow as well. And a bit of flavour of Del Mar today. I'll be hearing from Chad Brown, a trainer with leading hopes, particularly in the juvenile and in the turf, where he has domestic spending up against the strong European challenge in a few moments time. You'll be hearing from two locals who are devoted to this place one a, a journalist a radio broadcaster a, a veteran of many del mar campaigns the other the owner of one of the leading local businesses and later in the program switching our attentions back to the uk i'll be talking to brian mayo the chair of the thoroughbred breeders association national hunt committee about the very interesting and innovative idea to bring in three-year-old only hurdle races for national hunt bred horses uh, which is a complete contrast to what we've been talking about out here in southern California where Rishi Passad has been with me all week and has been trackside looking at the European contingent up close and Rishi first of all I want your reflections on the comments of Dermot Weld yesterday the trainer of Tanawa on how much more difficult potentially her task is as she bids to emulate conduit and high chaparral by winning a second edition of the Breeders' Cup turf she'd be the first filly or the first female to do that is her task more difficult this time round? do you think?
1: Uh, Lucky I've been enjoying being Track side, being down the back stretch and chatting to one or two people. And yesterday I had the opportunity of chatting to Dermot Weld. And I think it's reading between the lines of what he's saying, as much as anything else, that's the challenge. Uh, Dermot Weld mentioned the fact that she'd had a hard race, obviously, in the arc when she was second albeit narrowly beaten, and he felt that it took a little bit of time to get over that that defeat uh, and that race, but he felt that she'd she'd bounced back well enough to warrant a trip uh, to Delmar, and he felt that she's here absolutely in top nick, ready to run a race. Clearly, the big issue for her is being drawn out wide. Um, (laughs) uh, When I asked him about that, he smiled and said, "Um, we'll see why Colin Keane is as good as he is, I think. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah. Obviously, it's a huge challenge. Uh, the, the the track configuration at Delmar is a little bit different to to Keenan, so it's a different challenge for her. But the I, the the intimation from what Dermot Weld is saying is that she is here in excellent form after what has been you know, a She didn't start the season until late in the summer, uh, autumn time, and she had that one prep run before the Irish Champion Stakes and uh, then the arc, and they all came in in relatively quick succession. But uh, she's in good nick. Um, The draw is the big doubt for her, and I think Dermot Weld thinks
0: that that might be the only thing to stop her. Uh, Lydia and I were talking about this race a couple of days ago, and we were talking about Tiona, and Lydia quite rightly identified her as a wise guy horse, and I said, I'm happy to play the wise guy, which I know you are always. Yes, well,
1: I'm happy to join you in being a wise guy. Uh, I like Tiona. You know, there are some horses that grow on you during the week as you watch horses prepare for the for the Breeders' Cup. Uh, whatever you're working on, you know, you, you'll you'll get a feel for a horse. And just looking at her, the way she's training, speaking to Roger Varon, speaking to the people who are associated with her, uh, her work rider Ben, who's been uh, riding her through the middle of the summer through to now. Uh, you know, they're they're really confident about the fact that she's blossoming and that just might tip the scale for me as a 3 old filly blossoming as Tanawa did 12 months ago when she won those three group one grade one races uh, off uh, off in a row uh, and I feel that she might be the 2021 Tanawa having got back on track at Windsor and did what she did in the Vermeer. I feel like we've got a horse who is only now showing the, the ability that the Varian team felt that she'd had all along. Um, she's not been easy, clearly, because she's got a few traits of her damn ambivalent, who Roger Varian got the better of on occasions. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, that could be one issue. But I think in terms of a Philly just enjoying life and coming to, coming to the boil now,
0: it's Tiona. Well, the beauty of this race is that it's, it's got some depth and a potential new star in the US horse domestic spending, who is very highly rated by his trainer, Chad Brown, to whom Brittany Erton and I spoke yesterday on the Breeders' Cups Cocktails and Conversations show. And before he talks about his star in the turf, he shares a little anecdote about his relationship and friendly rivalry with Frankie de Torre, which goes back to 2014 at Santa Anita.
2: 2014, down the hill, we horse Bobby's kitten. Who? Looked like he was going to be off the board when he hit the dirt, crossing over. Comes from dead last and nails No Nate Never and Frankie DeTori right on the wire because he was out in the center of the track. And I don't think this other horse, I mean, Bobby's Kidding was coming as fast as a horse has maybe has ever come home at Santa Anita. Mm-hmm. and got there, but I don't think the other horse saw him in fairness. And he nailed him. And um, two years later, back at Santa Anita, Lady Eli's running. On the turf, it's mm-hmm. a, just a dream story. I mean, the movies are already calling. This is going to be the best ending. It's and uh, <laughs> yes, he knows and it was Frankie Tory is riding Queen's Trust, mm-hmm. and he breaks from the gate, and he gets right. And I could see it happening down the backside. He got right behind Lady Eli, and he just put his head down and he followed her upper rear end, the entire race until he slipped outside of her at the last moment and nailed her on the wire. And I was just so crushed. And I walked out on the track to go get my filly. And then here come Frankie, come back. <laughs> Saluting everybody. And he pointed his whip at me. No, And he goes, that was for no nay never. Wow. Right on the track. Yeah. So there's no confusing that. that nope. was the I said it was on his mind for two years. Was... Apparently. So And I'll tell you, um she was a really nice horse that beat us our horses you know one of the greatest turf horses this country's ever seen i do believe that but i don't know that a run of the rider would have won the race that day with frankie victoria she was brilliant but it's the what she came back from i mean for those that don't know the lady eli's story she battled laminitis and then came back to win a grade one after that time off i mean she was she was truly incredible but it was the
0: immediacy of of the the brilliant performance she put in in the belmont oaks and Mm -hmm. um, I was there that day on one of the NBC Challenge series shows, and I thought, you don't see so American-trained, you know, American homegrown turf horses do, do that. that. No. Right. And I was just standing at the quarter pole thinking, just as if she exploded, I went home saying, "This is, this is this is nothing will be this. She's a, And then it was only that
2: she trod on a nail going back to the barn that yeah, day. She that, from the track. Just an hour after the race, coming out of the test bar, and she stepped on a nail, and she developed laminitis. And I'll tell you, I don't... People... Now it's been some time that really realized that, I mean, that Philly was within hours of putting her down, mm-hmm. hours. Everyone's prepared. Everyone's ready. The vets are ready to put her down. If she has a bad evening here, we were there. And she came through that night and made it, came back, won a grade one, won an eclipse award mm-hmm. as a champion mayor after all this. Yeah. And, uh, and still managed to win grade one races in four straight years having to be near death. So great horse, but Frankie, and Frankie got me there. If I could have traded wins, I might have reversed them. <laughs> so you don't want him following you in a turf race. Believe me. No, yeah,
3: still probably always make the right he move. He will <laughs> in the last move.
2: <laughs> yeah. famous last
0: words, but I don't right. think I don't think he's going to get you in the in the turf this time round. I think Broom Broom's up against it, but domestic spending could be another special one, couldn't it? Well, he is already a special. He, one.
2: He is no, but he, this is this is the next level. He's got to turn a foot. He's got the quality to mm. do it. He's got fast numbers. He runs as fast as, as um, Bricks and Mortar, Flincher. He's run those numbers. He ran a little faster actually than Manhattan and those two did. So I know he has it in him to come up on the big stage. If he can get the mile and a half, he trains like he can, but we have to see it Um I've just been very impressed with this horse. Uh, I mean,
0: do you think the opposition is going to be aware that if there's one potential flaw, it's that your stamina is not as cast iron as one or two of the really kind of yeah. grinding Europeans in the race?
2: Yeah. I mean, that's true. That That's the only thing um, besides, the, you know, poor trip mm-hmm. um, and, and getting... Which is important tested. here. It's, it's important here. That's the, main, that's the most important thing here. Okay. You're right. And then staying a mile and a half. But, I mean, yeah, th- there's some other horses that can get the distance, like you mm-hmm. said. But any sort of grindy just stamina oriented horse and if, they're, if he's lined up next to him he's got such a turn of foot that yeah. be able
0: to stay with. Him. Chad Brown there talking about uh, domestic spending and, and quite notable that he said that you really need a horse with a kick if you've just got a slow horse at Del Mar it, it's not really going to work you're not going to be able to grind the finish out of horses and I thought that was evident when Highland Real was second in the in the 2017 turf Rishi
1: yeah, I look back at a lot of the racing from obviously 2017 when it was held here in Delmar and all the races on turf i are- all the horses that emerged successful were close enough to the pace, turning into the straight and used a kick. There were very few horses that had been off the bridle making ground late. I mean, there were horses that made ground late, but they were too far back or they were out of their comfort zone, being in the being in the wrong rhythm through the race. I mean, Massar ran in the juvenile turf uh, with Mendelssohn. Mendelssohn was beautifully p- positioned through the race and picked up, went away. Massar came wide, late from the bright back and, and ran on strongly. Um and that is borne out what Chad Brown's saying, what the way a lot of people have spoken about the configuration of, of Del Mar. It's been borne out by what happened in twenty seventeen on the turf races and it's something to, to bear in mind for anyone playing in the races this year.
0: Well, you talk about the juvenile turf, you talk about Massar. Massar's trainer, Charlie Appleby, has two in the race this year, Modern Games and Albar. And the received wisdom is that Buick's Mount Modern Games is the likelier winner. But Albar won the winner you're in in Canada under his big race rider, Frankie Dottori. What's your take on it?
1: Well, my take is that Buick is right. Uh, I like Modern Games. I felt that Modern Games was the ideal horse for the race in that he was another horse that had blossomed through the season getting better and better with every run he's very tractable he breaks well from the gates uh, he settles into a good rhythm and he's got a kick when he won the Tattersall Stakes at Newmarket it was impressive because he travelled very nicely and then when uh, he was asked for his effort he put very good distance between himself and Trident and Trident obviously had pretty good form having only been beaten by perfect power in the group one um, and I thought that you know this was the ideal horse for the race my Confidence has been shaken somewhat because I've spent a little bit of time here in Del Mar in the company of certain former champion jockey, Kieran Fallon, uh, who rides uh, Al Baja regularly at home. And he, in fact, he went uh, to Woodbine earlier in the year when Al Baja won that grade one under Frank Dettori. And Kieran Fallon is adamant that Al Baja should not be underestimated and that in his own opinion, that he thinks that Al Baja is a better horse than Modern Games. Of course, Al Baja is a grade one winner and Modern Games hasn't quite proven it at that level. But you would think from the jockey bookings and the way that they've lined up for the race that the, the home team or the Appleby team at home think that Modern Games is the better horse. But I'm I'm shaken by Kieran Fallon's confidence uh, in, in Al Baja being a better horse than Modern Games. Uh, he feels that Modern Games only does what he has to do. He feels that he's a little bit lazy and he feels that when they have that together in a bit of work or whatever that modern games saves himself for when he really needs to run i mean he obviously won by a long way in the end in in a wood mine um but he came with a a long sweeping run and picked picked past every every horse and and won impressively um so kira Fallon's knowledge in racing far exceeds anything that i will ever have uh, and so even though after all this time leading up to the race i've been all over modern games uh, there's there, there just might be a saver on our bar
0: well what does a breeders cup at Del Mar mean to those who live and work here and who breathe this glorious air well felix taverna and tom DeLerba from race and sports radio based down here in southern california Felix, the Breeders' Cup is back in Del Mar. quite soon after the last one in 17 when we first met. What does it mean to be back?
4: Oh, it means everything since what happened in 2020 with no racing at all, no fans coming to the track and, you know, just having that one year wiped out. And then here in November 2021, having the Breeders' Cup here in a spin around of four years, the economic value of what it means to our city and our community Uh, over the 100 million mark last year, I mean, in 2017. It means everything, actually.
0: And, Tom, you guys are the, you know, you're the cocks of the walk when we come into town. You show us what's what, where to go, what to do.
5: Yeah, we love it. We love when we see all these great horses, horsemen come in town, we're happy to show them around and show them a good time. Del Mar is a beautiful place, lots of things to do. But when you got great horse people here, it's unbelievable, you know, to have the energy here in Del Mar. The great horse energy that you feel here uh, right now is unbelievable.
0: Felix, just tell Hi. listeners to, to this podcast what it feels like, Del Mar. What's the feel of the place? How would you describe it as distinct from every other racetrack in the country?
4: Uh, it's a casual eloquence, you know. It, it really has a vibe. It has a vibe unlike any other vibe anywhere across the country on any racing venue it's close to the ocean Um, the people love racing here they have a high demographic of folks who love horse racing Uh, the community of san diego is, is america's finest city is america's finest city because they have fine people living in this city this, this track has so much history to it. That I get emotional thinking about going back years when I got invited to come to Del Mar when it was a sleepy little track. Now it's become this big time track. People said they couldn't handle the Breeders' Cup in 2017 here in Del Mar. Uh, they went beyond expectations. I can't imagine what it's gonna be like. We are here on a Wednesday. I can feel the, the beat, I can feel the pace. It's quickening very, very nicely. I see this going to be a record-breaking weekend on all fronts. And Tommy D is the top man in a very great restaurant in Solana Beach that I'm sure he would want to invite you and your guests to come out.
5: Yeah, come on down, I'll say 101, it's in Solana great Beach, restaurant. one of the best restaurants in town, and in Felix, the energy here is unbelievable, uh, you know, like I said, great horse people, great people, great horses, I mean, if you haven't been to the Breeders' Cup, you gotta come, Special if you're locally, gotta get here
4: to Damar. And another thing, you gotta explain racing, Nick, you're an international commentary, uh, commentator. You've great work. I mean, uh, you, you're, you're multifaceted. Uh, you're the face of racing internationally. You have brought your face to the the Breeders' Cup. This is number 38. I, I think back every every day, and I wrote about it in a, in a column that I'm writing in the Coast News here, San Diego, called Inside Information. I sat there in Tommy's Restaurant last night, and I wrote this column, and I thought about John Gaines, and I thought about... What would John Gaines feel in... He, he, of course,
0: the founder of the Breeders' Cup. It was his brain.
4: 1984. Hollywood Park. Yeah, Hollywood Park. John Gaines thought that he would create a day of racing that would be equitable to the Super Bowl. And so that was the name of the title of my article. The Super Bowl of Racing is the Breeders' Cup. What would John Gaines... Think if he came to see like his brainchild explode to an international circuit, and the Breeders' Cup is so huge. And getting back to my point, that you being an international star that you are, I think we need to continue to educate new people that are tuning into you on whatever platform you are—TVG, NBC, whatever. We got to break it down to the 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 equi- you know the the finest point of. Sharing information because this sport is so great on so many fronts, and we're going to see it this weekend.
0: What would Ben Crosby say if he uh, if he could see this now? Uh,
4: ben Crosby would say, uh, "I think I did a pretty nice job coming here, working at uh, buying the land and getting getting it here." And you know, that's another point that you, you know you talk about Ben Crosby. What, what what made Delmar was in the infield during the days of Desi Arnez and Harry Nelson and and uh, all these great orchestra people. Lucille Ball, Jimmy Durante, after the races would convene, they'd go into the infield and they would play music and that was their way. And the train came down here and stopped right over there at 2 o'clock for a reason. Delmar's first post is 2 o'clock during the summer meeting for one simple reason. The train used to pull in at 1.45 here. People would get off the train, they'd come to the track. I mean, this place has so much history. We're just a part of it. And Tommy D and I talked about this this morning at our, our You know, our radio broadcast meeting that we're so happy to be a part of it because uh, we're connected to something that we love and something that you love.
0: Well if that hasn't sold Del Mar to you I don't know what will. Ignore all the nice comments about about the host of this podcast they just wanted me to do something in return but uh, Rishi can give you uh, the real reason why this is a great place because it's your first visit. It is my
1: first visit to Del Mar and naturally I'm enjoying it immensely but Occasionally, you often hear about some place or you see on television, you hear other people describing what it's like and you hear the fact that it's the turf means the surf and you think there might be a little bit of exaggeration in what people are saying about it uh, and overemphasizing just how amazing it is. Then you get here, you realize that it is literally It is literally where the turf meets the surf. You have a look around, you have a walk around, and it looks and it sounds and it feels just like it does from miles away and in your dreams and in your imagination. It lives up to every expectation, Delmar. The beauty about this week, apart from all of that and the setting, how amazing it is, is just bumping into so many people that I haven't seen internationally for such a long time, spending time in their company, sharing stories about how the last, Two years have gone for people, uh, hearing how people have found difficulties but overcome challenges and then able to come to this uh, Breeders' Cup Championships and share uh, a great week in each other's company. And that's been one of the most exciting things for me, catching up with old friends.
0: Interesting new development today that's been announced by the British Horse Racing Authority, and that is the introduction of development hurdle races for juveniles, so those in their three- and and four-year-old season, who have not previously run on the flat. Uh, This is in part, perhaps in full, uh, the brainchild of Brian Mayo, who is the chair of the Thoroughbred Breeders Association's National Hunt Committee and is also on the board of the TBA. Uh, Brian's with me now. Brian, what led to this? What was behind the idea in the first place? Basically, Nick,
3: for several years, I've looked at the successes of French bred horses in British races and Irish races, looked at the pedigrees of the winners of these races bred in France, and came to the conclusion that they are no better bred, and in some ways not as well-bred as British and Irish horses, but the key thing is they raced earlier over jumps. Famous horses like Star and Neptune Colonge, began as three-year-olds and succeeded in this country throughout their careers up to the age of 11. So early development of French horses was giving them an advantage. What appeared to have happened more recently is that horses raced in Ireland as four-year-olds in point-to-point also are proving very successful. So these successes in other countries, we're unable to replicate them in this country because there simply isn't a programme. So this initiative is to create a programme that lets us replicate what has worked in France and Ireland.
0: Given the fact that a lot of the juvenile hurdlers who come from the flat aren't actually very good horses, is it not unnecessary is. should we not just be encouraging people to to run jump spread horses over hurdles earlier they might well win those races
3: I I suspect that there are two factors one is that perhaps the trainers wouldn't think they'd be as race hardened as the flat horses Uh, they're not used to going flat out early on in a race and galloping to the finish. So it may be that trainers would be reluctant to do it, but probably more importantly, the jump horses maybe are later maturing and it's better to compare light with We can potentially get them to break them earlier, get them jumping earlier, and then they can race against other horses of similar development status as three-year-olds and four-year-olds without having to meet a flat horse that's perhaps been running in handicaps as a three-year-old, in nurseries as a two-year-old, which, which have significant advantages over them in terms of hardened racing experience. We want these races to develop jump horses. Um, that will last for many years. Not hammer them too much early on.
0: So, so, what are the benefits to the to the industry of this? What are the benefits to the, say, the the national hunt breeding industry of doing this? Well, th-
3: this, this initiative is aimed at British raised horses, so it they don't have to be. Born in this country, there could be horses that were bought to stalls in Ireland and raised in this country that are being trained in this country. So it's not for British bread specifically, but British bred will clearly benefit. The, the benefit, the benefits are that if you have a horse that you've uh, born to be a jump horse, bred to be a jump horse, you can know that if you break the horse earlier, train it to jump earlier, then if it's ready, it can race as a three-year-old against other horses of a similar oak. And all the evidence that I've ever seen suggest that doing that will give them a long-term advantage as jumps performers. M- maybe it sinks into the brains that they have to jump um, and how to jump. And it sinks into their heads that this is part of what they are. If you try to t- teach a horse to jump at the age of five, it's not quite such an easy process, and. They- are not likely to be as agile and athletic as the horses brought along earlier so the benefits will be that simply horses brought up in this way are likely to be more successful long term than if they were brought up in the traditional means of running in bumpers of four-year-olds and five-year-olds and going over hurdles five-year-olds they're likely to succeed that's the benefit
2: um,
0: and brian I, I, i've done so many podcasts recently where we've talked about the problem of small fields uncompetitive races i can hear people out there now this is a, a perfect recipe for them what How would you counter that?
3: I think there is a possibility that early on the field sizes will not be huge. We will make a lot of effort to try and tell people about the benefits of these races and encourage them but essentially racing, I agree, has to be about competition ultimately but you also have to have development events where you provide a basis for horses to come through at the right speed for them. So if there are small fields in these races early on that's something that might happen. We'll try our best to prevent it but that's not the prime issue here the prime issue is what's the right development for young horses and it's it's the same analogy that at the moment there are many handicaps um for novice horses and some horses are running in handicaps which, which have never even handicapped chases which have never even raced over fences before and That's another counter to small fields, but it's simply not in the best interests of the horses to develop them by having too much competition in large fields too early. So you've got to accept a certain number of races will be less competitive. This may not be the case, but if that happens, it will in the long term be creating a far better product which will last for many years, or the horse will last for many years. As a successful animal, it's a far better product than we have at the moment.
0: Uh, Brian Mayo there this will this will stir some debate Rishi no doubt about that I I, I declare my hand and I've been speaking to Brian about this for some time I think it's a good idea in the in the long term but I think you're going to have to you're going to have to realize that there might be some some small fields in the short term that of course is a hot topic at the moment as we found out today that um, there's an increase in what the BHA uh, determined as failed races because poor field sizes continue for, for the third month in a row.
1: Yeah, I was about to say the small fields um, might not just be relatable to to the introduction of this. The small fields is a whole separate issue, as you well know, has been discussed on this podcast many a time. I think overall, this looks like a positive move. Lucky, and, and it's obviously uh, in the in the wake of what happened at the Cheltenham Festival uh, with Britain being dominated by Ireland and the concern for uh, the British national hunt scene, the jumping scene, and so people are obviously looking to take steps forward to. Uh, progress the sport uh in in Britain and this looks like a progressive step um it still has to play out and you still have to understand uh that it's only something that is going to succeed if it's supported uh and it produces successful horses to move through the ranks but again it's worked in another country it's worked in France so if it's worked in another country why wouldn't it work in Britain well we'll try on it we're going to see how it unfolds and I think it's Overall, it's a great idea and it allows these youngsters to gain experience in the right manner. I'm happy
0: with that. I think what I'm pleased about is that Brian has exploded the myth that apart from a very small subset of AQPS horses, that the French horses are fundamentally the same breed. There is no reason why horses bred in Britain or Ireland shouldn't. Do exactly the same things as horses, as thoroughbreds bred bred in France. I, I think that the the explosion of that myth is a, is a positive one, but I, I'm sure it is a debate that will run somewhat. Now we've gone just about everywhere in the world this week. One place we haven't gone is the United Arab Emirates because Dubai is kicking off its season today, and our man in the desert, well, it's none other than our very own Tom Stanley.
5: The domestic racing season at Maidan, home to the Dubai World Cup carnival, gets underway on Thursday evening, and in many ways, it's business as usual. There's total prize money for the racing season exceeding 40 million US dollars. It's 30 plus degrees outside, we've got seven races on the dirt, and with the season underway already, champion trainer Doug Watson has five on the board, having had a four timer. At Jebel Ali last week and followed up with another at Sharjah. But there are plenty of changes afoot, too. Formerly disgraced trainer Mahmoud Al Zaruni is back with two runners, as you and Dave Yates touched upon earlier in the week on the Nick Luck Daily. Richard Mullen, multiple champion jockey out here. Well, he's split from trainer Satish Simar, something he announced back at Dubai World Cup week at the end of last season. He's joined up with Nicholas Bachelard's Jebel Ali stables. Bachelard has no runners this week at Maidan, so Mullen instead rides four for Beverly Dutram. UK-based jockey Ray Dawson, who enjoyed a breakthrough season last term, is now based out here for the winter with his family and he's riding for Arma bin Hamash. Very excited to see how Ray gets on, particularly riding on the different surface, on the dirt initially out here. And there'll be no former champion trainer Ali Rashid Al-Rahi. He won't be seen as he's currently five months into a year ban after a horse in his care returned a pre-race positive test for cobalt back in January. And we've also got a new commentator for the UAE racing season with leading South African caller Alistair Cohen replacing the departing Australian Craig Evans. So, the Maidan season underway this Thursday at 7pm local time. Hopefully, we'll see some horses who'll progress into Dubai World Cup Carnival Runners with that event getting underway on the 13th of January. Well, thanks to Tom. Thanks to all my guests today.
0: Uh, Rishi is still with me and has a tip for you.
1: Um... It's a horse that I'm really looking forward to seeing this season. She's running at Newbury, lucky uh, LA Bell for the skeleton team. She's a short price, but I think she could be very good uh, over hurdles this season. So fingers crossed she gets the job done there.
0: All right. Thanks, Rishi. Thank you very much for listening. We will be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares,